Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. And joining us from here on out is uh, Cousin Jeff. Well, how do you want to be known on the show? you want to be known as your name, <laughs> Jeff Lasseter, or do you want to keep our name we gave you? Yeah, I, I, I think people just know me as Cousin Jeff, so... We can we can refer to my name when we start plugging my artwork later. There we go. Uh, but yeah, he will be now a permanent co-host on the show. Uh, as, Sorry, <laughs> as I am no longer. I shouldn't say no. I'm still part of the show, but I there will be. I just you notice we're missing weeks. You know, almost every other week now, and it's all my fault. And hopefully, Jeff and Sean can kind of pick up the slack and. Uh, we can give you a weekly show from here on out. Uh, so thank you very much for joining the show, Jeff. I'm really excited about that. I'm excited to be here. Thanks a lot for asking. Uh, visit us at IHateCritics.net, EveryonesAcriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. We'll read your review on the air. And I believe Sean has some Blu-rays that he's been given by several distribution right. companies. Uh, specifically, uh, I posted this on our Facebook. Uh, you can, If you give us a, a review, you can get the movie uh, Alienoid, which is a kind of a viral hit. Uh, it's a Blu-ray of the movie Alienoid, which is uh, uh, out now, I believe, and uh, yeah, if you want that, uh, just uh, give us a review and uh, send it to us. Make sure we see it. And uh, I've got uh, two copies to give away. Awesome. Uh, if you want to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash critics pod is the best way to help support the podcast. We do have some bonus episodes out there, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to start doing more now that we have a more solid lineup. <laughs> And then uh, our, just quickly, we don't want uh, if you're if you're doing brand deals, we're not interested in jewelry scams. Uh, <laughs> we got one of our first brand deal offer in a long time, and it was a jewelry scam. Uh, <laughs> we know it's a scam because we fell for it. Oh, yes. I looked it up. <laughs> uh, yeah. yes. Jeff, you're not getting your necklace. <laughs> <laughs> I'm be like influencer and like wear like jewelry for fake accounts. That'd be great. On the bright side, we never fell for established titles like everybody else, like the big YouTube people did. So that's good. <laughs> nice. We would have fallen for it if they'd offered us money, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of money in this uh, <laughs> this format at the moment for us, at least. Uh, we do have our T public page. If you search critics pod, it's also linked at I hate critics.net. Uh, Sean, why don't you plug your movie review site? Yeah, it's just uh, Sean at the movies.blogspot.com. I've got uh, 20 plus years of movie reviews, more than uh, 2000 there on top of the 1200 reviews I've done for vocal. So you know, there's a lot of content there and it's all going there. So, yeah, I mean, do click on the vocal links, obviously, and read that stuff. But yeah, that's where everything can be found very easily is on that site. And then, Jeff, where can people find your artwork? Uh, you can go to jefflasseter.com. That's got links to my T Public and to my Etsy shop. Um, you know, I mean, T Public's always on sale, and I run sales quite a bit on prints and original artwork. So, and, and all, a cruising show. 
Can you still get uh, that uh, that cursed Jar Jar Banks art that you were putting out? Oh yeah, I've got Jar Jar. I've got lots of Jar Jar. It's terrifying. Striptease Jar Jar. That is the one I'm talking about. I'm not it's kidding you. Image. Last week, I'm sold out completely on stickers. I just shipped my last one tonight. Uh, every other T Public order has been Otogunga After Dark. That's what I'm calling it. Oh boy! So. <laughs> Lots of sexy Jar Jar is going to be walking around. There are some weird fetishes on the internet. <laughs> Nothing wrong with capitalizing on them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, and Just because I'm pretty doesn't mean I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find all of those links on our show notes uh, when you listen to the podcast. All right. Uh, but yes, Jeff is now a permanent co-host of the show. We'll still be able to bring in Zach and Josh and whoever here and there, but uh, we are now a three-way podcast, three co-hosts. So, uh, Wait a minute. <laughs> Nobody told me about that. <laughs> now you know. For a thruple, you didn't know? Live on, it, live on the show. <clears throat> How to lose subscribers and fill our Patreon. <laughs> All right, let's jump into this week's show, and uh, we will start with The Menu. The Menu stars Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy in the story of a high-end restaurant on an island run by Chef Slowick, played by Ray Fiennes. Uh, It is a restaurant experience, uh, meaning that there are limited customers paying a great deal of money to have a food experience, and as we're told by a character played by Nicholas Holt. Uh, this is this whole menu is a story that is being told, and you have to eat to the end to find out what it's all about. The only guest that wasn't supposed to be there is Anya Taylor-Joy's character, and she we she got this invitation very late in the game after Nicholas Holt's date fell through, uh, and she is our entryway character. She's the, the, the audience surrogate. And I, what's brilliant about Anya Taylor-Joy is that she could have played any of these characters, even the chef. She's just that brilliant. And uh, But she chose to play this rather traditional character, and she gives this a non-traditional sort of element. Uh, how she comes to be here is an important part of the plot, and uh, it, it, she definitely kind of ruffles the feathers of Ray Fiennes' character. And uh, the, the two of them working together are just so brilliant. The way that they uh, play off of each other, how she's sort of disrupted his plan, how he's adjusting to having her there and what she means to what is about to unfold on this night is just, it's all brilliantly, brilliantly put together. This movie is exceptional. The more time I sit with this movie, the more I love it, especially the ending, which <laughs> really, I mean, just brilliant, <laughs> just brilliant. In my review, I, I described it as if, uh, as, as if, uh, uh, as if, um, Oh God, Gordon Ramsay were a Ari Aster character. Like, <laughs> like, like that's the level of kind of weird we're going for here. And I just, I dig that so much. This is absolutely phenomenal. I love this movie and I can't recommend it enough. Jeff, do you see it? I saw it. Um, I saw, I actually got three movies last weekend and this was, this was almost my favorite. It's, it's a toss up, but I, this is like the blackest of black comedies. I'm I, I don't think the people that were there. There was maybe maybe four or five other people in the theater when I saw it, as I saw it at ten o'clock in the morning. Because why not? Um, I don't think they really got that it was supposed to be a really dark comedy. Mm. 
But there were times when I was laughing out loud and the guy who was sitting closest to me just kept looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? This isn't funny. This is terrible. This is horrible what they're doing. Hmm. I thought it was so, so good. Uh, the cast, I mean, oh, I mean, everybody in the cast was just amazing. From Anya Taylor-Joy, I will watch anything with Hong Chao. I, I mean, she's just, she's so good. And the the like simmering rage underneath her character that she finally gets to let out later in the film is just uh it's perfect she's just i mean even the douchebag guys i was just like what's what's going on what what's their thing what's their thing and that ending i really really thought that it was i i'm glad it wasn't but i thought it was going to be the conventional ending where it's you know it's a dream it's a joke it's not really gonna happen and then it happened and wow no kidding bob and this is not a spoiler you'll never predict where this is going to end but it reminded me of the ending of midsummer and just the way i reacted to it and how i took it in and the way it just kind of floored me it's that level of good not that this movie is not necessarily as good as midsummer it's not on that level but this it's it that ending though is that is on that level for sure I did. I actually wrote an entire spoiler article. If you want to, you've seen the movie, or you're not going to bother to see the movie. I I did do a spoiler article. It's all about the ending of this movie because I think the ending of this movie is absolutely genius and darkly hilarious. I've been out of town for almost two weeks in a row, and one of the reasons you allowed me to skip last week's episode so I could go see this, and I didn't. I I got home Sunday. On three hours of sleep, I actually just drove out, bought tickets to this, and was falling asleep driving. It was like it was so dangerous that I was like, I gotta turn around and go home. Uh, I I want to see this so bad. I, my big fear was like this was gonna be David Fincher's The Game, like kind of a, the lame, oh the game the whole time or whatever. Uh, so it's exciting to know that it's not that. Uh, so I'm really excited to see this. I just don't know when I'm going to get to, and that frustrates the hell out of me. Is this in your top 10, Sean? I know you sent a link. I didn't it's, open it. It's, uh, I've got 26 movies right now that are, or 27 now, that are very close uh, to, to being in my top 10. I've got to sort those out. So it's definitely on that list for sure, whether it makes it into the top 10. Still working on it. It is a hell of a year. For movies. It is a great year, I've got to say. So... I am obviously, from being on the show before, the big horror fan, and I'm a total easy lay when it comes to horror movies. And this was, this was like an like an Ariaster horror movie in that you're there's just this sense of dread throughout the whole thing, and, and unlike Ariaster, this has laughs that you kind of hate yourself for laughing. And as of right now, this is in my definitely in my top ten. Well, I mean, I've heard Ari Aster claim his movies are comedies. <laughs> so, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, to him, but. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I, I think. I'm amused by Ari Aster in many ways, that's for sure. But yeah. I think um, the only way that this movie could have been better is if the Anya Taylor Joy part, Margot, was played by Lindsay Lohan from Falling for Christmas. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to do a callback to last week's episode. 
Anything else? Can you that? imagine that though? Um, no, I don't want to. I <laughs> <laughs> would have to set the movie at a Hardee's. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd have to be chain smoking through the whole meal. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Did you see Falling for Christmas, Bob? No, when I worked at Hardee's. Well, okay. <laughs> hey, chef, come here. Why do you want to talk to me in your office, chef? <laughs> That's Lindsay Lohan playing this part. <laughs> All right. Sorry, this is going to be a Lindsay Lohan bashing podcast from now on. Just so you know. <laughs> She's still relevant. I know she did have that Netflix movie, but that. <laughs> it was a did, hit. It wasn't a hit. That's yeah. good, good for that. Yeah, there's a lot of dumb people in this world. Was it as big a hit as the Ryan Reynolds Will Ferrell one? I mean, probably as big. Yeah. Oh, I mean, really? I'm really, people really barely even noticed that Spirited came out. So <laughs> people know about Falling for Christmas. People love Christmas movies. They like. We should do an entire episode that's just talking about Christmas movies that people love that aren't that great. Ugh, we have to hear it. Sean talk about Nash Lampoon's Christmas Vacation anymore. All right. Let's move on to Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery is a new movie with Ryan Johnson, the director. Of course, he directed the first Knives Out, and uh, it's uh, just another terrific detective story. This time, it's a, uh, a billionaire played by Edward Norton who has his own island, which is a weird theme for this week, having her own island. Uh, he is uh, uh, throwing a party, a murder mystery for his friends, where he's a uh, uh, you know, having them solve his murder. And uh, he's somehow, accidentally or otherwise, uh, he's invited the world's greatest detective, uh, Benoit Blanc, uh, Daniel Craig, alongside all of his friends, including his uh, former business partner, who has uh, a lot of bones to pick with him. Uh, she's not particularly happy being his ex-business partner. That's Janelle Monet, And Janelle Monet is Oscar-level good in this movie. She is absolutely brilliant. Not that Daniel Craig isn't. Daniel Craig's fantastic. Uh, he love this is. I mean, he's turned this from being just one a one off and knives out to a character that honestly will go on for decades if he wants it to. <laughs> like it, this character can carry on forever. It's that level of. This is a uh, Mrs. Marple. This is you know Poirot. This is all of those kind of characters, but uh, newly found in this in this performance by Daniel Craig, but. Uh, truly, I love Janelle Monae gave the best performance in the movie in a movie filled with the really great performances. It also includes uh, Dave Bautista as a Twitch streamer and Kate Hudson as a failing former model and actress. Uh, uh, you've got uh, just this amazing cast. I mean, just absolutely incredible cast that, that uh, carries off this mystery that never goes where you expect it to. Honestly, you, you go in and you think that the that the billionaire guy is the one who's going to die, and maybe yeah, that's not. But you know, it's it's just so it goes in so many different directions. Edward Norton, of course, is in this as well. He's the billionaire. He's absolutely brilliant. Could not be better. Combining the worst elements of Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, <laughs> just but not doing so in a way that. Like he's he's not doing it in a way that's mean. Like it's not mean. We get mean late, <laughs> but initially he's just so very committed to playing the character and playing it well, and uh, just absolutely ingeniously deconstructed as the story goes on. I just the, the intricacy of Ryan Jen, Ryan Johnson's writing just gets me every time. His construction, the way he 
doesn't condescend to the audience. He layers things in there and lets you see things and lets you think about them, but he doesn't underline the point, moves on very quickly. It's very skillful. Uh, it's a mystery that is so involving and so engaging. Uh, just everything. And it's so funny. It is so funny. There is a line in this movie, and somebody else on Twitter called this out even before I saw it, about sweatpants from Kate Hudson that is legitimately the biggest laugh of the of all of 2022. <laughs> it is just massive laughs uh, that moment. When you realize what the joke is, and you have to realize what the joke is yourself, it's just genius. I just love it. And I love this movie. Yes. <clears throat> I this was of the three movies that I saw this weekend in the theater. This was my favorite. I saw this first thing on Wednesday afternoon. I got out of work early and I was I went straight to the theater. I could not wait. I don't. I'm not a huge Kate Hudson fan. I could take her or leave her. Basically, I was like, okay, now I just want to go ahead and watch everything that she's ever done that I ever missed. Um, <laughs> she was perfect. the casting was absolutely perfection throughout i mean janelle monet is just i i love her as a singer and i you know loved her for a long time but seeing her in this role i forgave annabellum i i was just like whoa whoa what what she's just so good in it and i'm a ryan johnson fanboy i guess um i I, I, I don't care about Daniel Craig either, but I could watch him pay, play this part mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. Um, the Stephen Sondheim and Angela Lansbury R.I.P. Mm-hmm. Uh, cameo was I'm not kidding you. I laughed so hard because this this movie takes place during the pandemic, yeah. during 2020, and. They were doing it was funny watching them do exactly the same thing I was doing with my family for a good chunk of the pandemic. Um, and it just seems like, too, there also, I believe, Kareem Abdul Jabbar and Natasha, Natasha Leone also in that scene. And that just seems like he just found the perfect circle for Benoit Blanc to be in. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I also liked the subtle nod to, uh, I don't know if we're if we're going to spoil it, but I don't want to spoil anything. Cause Bob hasn't seen it yet. The, the, the other person who does a small cameo tells you a lot about Benoit Blanc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's been out there a little bit on, on, uh, social media, but, uh, one of the people who was sitting closest to me was like, wait, what? When they put it together, I was just like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, the, the little cameo, the cameos are just chef's kiss. They, I just could not stop thinking about this movie all through Wednesday and Thursday and up until I went to see the menu. And then I started just thinking about that. So um, this was my favorite movie this weekend so far. Um, just could not, could not stop thinking about it. Couldn't almost resubscribe to Netflix to watch it again. Uh, I think that Netflix should have let this go a couple more weeks before they put it on their on their streaming. Um, they're just they could have just minted money because I I've heard so much good stuff about this and the word of mouth. People are like, oh, I can't wait to see that. You know, I want to see it in the theater. Well, you're <laughs> tomorrow is your last day or today, whenever this drops. You know, it's like, all right, 
um, just uh, so it's so clever. And I'm a huge fan of mysteries, Agatha Christie, Murder, She Wrote, cozy mysteries. And this is almost a cozy mystery because, you know, there's no, you know, Benoit Blanc is he's smart, but he's a little homespun. Uh, I really wish they'd, they'd done a uh, Ryan Johnson at one point said um, somebody said you should inexplicably have him do a different accent in every movie. <laughs> and Ryan Johnson said that that was something that he had actually thought about. I would have died laughing <laughs> if they had done that. If he had just done like Russian or something instead of Southern or it just, it would have been hilarious. But yeah, watch this movie. Even if you have to watch it on Netflix, totally worth it. Watch it on a, on the biggest screen you can watch it on. Don't watch it on your phone because the the visuals in this movie, the the Greek setting, the artwork. I, I mean, I'm obviously an artist, and I, I it made me want to paint again because there was so much good artwork everywhere. Mm. Um, just it's gorgeous. It's well acted. It's well written to the point where I I I watch a ton of Murder She Wrote and Columbo and all that kind of stuff, and can usually pick out who's who the killer is within the first you know couple of scenes i did not pick up on this one until they started laying it out and then i was like oh shit and then they go back and they show you everything and it's like of course mm-hmm. how did i not know that so clever yeah the, the misdirections are strong the, the direction is incredible ryan johnson is just masterful and uh doesn't get enough credit yeah. No, I thought Knives Out was fantastic too. You couldn't tell really till they started laying that out what was going on. Uh, I think Ryan Ryan Johnson's one of my favorite directors. I mean, he made the best Star Wars movie there is. Uh, uh, a Star Wars movie for non Star Wars fans. Uh, do you need to see Knives Out to get this movie? Not at all. No. It hel- it it helps introduce you to him. Right. But there's there's no overlap other than than him. It's like you could watch Knives Out after this and just you know it it wouldn't make any difference. All right, because my family has not seen Knives Out, but they I mean I will be watching on Netflix. Unfortunately, I feel bad uh, doing that, but that's just the nature of the beast. But I really want to see this one as well, and uh, I'm glad it's good. It's exciting. Are they making another one? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. A third one, maybe. Uh, I I think if he got the idea, they, I guess they, I bet they would just go on, and I would be fine with that. Just keep doing this, Daniel Craig. Uh, just keep doing this. As long as Ryan Johnson's doing it too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think they would do it without him. I don't. I I just I think that you know, based on how clever he writes things and how you know he just. Aside, there, you know, like even Looper, there's a few plot holes here and there. And Last Jedi, the way he writes is just a very specific way. And if they tried to do a glass, uh, Knives Out movie without him, I don't think it would work. You have to have his attention to detail. You have to have his you know, that that uh, the care that he takes. I mean, you look at all of his plots. The, the intricacy is is a, is symbolic of what he does. And, uh, I'm I'm awed by his level of detail. The the little touches that he chose, the little choices that he makes. You know, this there's a scene early on we talked about a little bit where Benoit Blanc, Benoit Blanc is in the bath, and just the choice of a hat that he's wearing is just kind of genius. 
mean, that's the level of detail we're talking about here. That's awesome. All right, let's move on to She Said. She Said stars Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan in the story of how uh, the New York Times broke the story about Harvey Weinstein, the uh, head of Miramax, one of the biggest power players in all of Hollywood. Uh, the open secret was is that he was abusing his power with women. Uh, he was, you know, essentially, I mean, he essentially is now a convicted rapist. We need to say that. Uh, the He is uh, a criminal. Uh, and he was a criminal. He was a criminal for a very long time, from the at least the late 80s all the way through you know, this year where he is currently now in jail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the story goes that uh, finally women started to speak out uh, about uh, him, about uh, making accusations about him, and people started to take it seriously. It took a pair of female reporters to actually start taking it seriously and to start uh, the ball rolling on finally people questioning his use of his power. And uh, I find that this movie is pretty great in many ways. It's uh, uh, it's symbolic of, of all the president's men and spotlights. It is just uh, in terms of allowing journalists to collect facts and present those facts. And that's really what the movie is, is gathering facts, gathering evidence and presenting the, those that evidence and facts. Uh, and really that's what great journalism should be is uh collecting the evidence and showing it, not necessarily making it an opinion, because this is really not an opinion that Harvey Weinstein is a criminal. He is, a, in fact, a criminal. Uh, he was also approvably an abuser. And uh, it's, that it took as long as it did for him to be brought down is, is a telling of a, a tale of all of our society for the past 30 years. Uh, he came about in a time where uh, behavior like his was excused because, well, you know, this is how it's always been. Men have always been in power, you know. So he wants to take a shower in front of a, a of a woman and have her watch him. You know, that's just that's the way it was when he was coming up. That is not okay. That was never okay. It wasn't okay in 1972. It wasn't okay in 1992. It's not okay in 2022. This was never okay. <laughs> I, mean, I don't that shouldn't need to be said, but it still needs to be said to this date because there are still people who defend the actions of people like Harvey Weinstein, who, you know, for whom uh, consent was never a question. Uh, he just automatically assumed consent when he walked into a room. Uh, that is not OK. Uh, and finally, just that this movie presents that so very, very well, finally making that very, very plain in a way that's going to be very easy to understand and easy to follow. Um, a lot of people really need to see this movie. A lot of people did not see this movie uh, to the point where Harvey Weinstein was quoted as you know, celebrating the fact that the movie didn't do well, which why anybody fucking asked his fucking opinion. It really pisses me off that anybody bothered to fucking ask what he thought of this. because I don't give a fuck what he thinks about this fucking movie. I don't really care why anybody asked him. Why anybody asked for a quote from him on this is embarrassing as a culture. I'll say that. Was Ronan Farrow's character in it at all, or did they leave him out completely? He, well, he, he was working simultaneously as these as these two reporters were uh, for NBC, and his story kind of got held up a little bit as they're putting their story out. So they, they all coalesced together eventually. They weren't they weren't sabotaging each other or working against each other. They're all working toward the same thing. They just weren't working on it together. Yeah, he uh, he did a piece for the New Yorker, and they mention it in the movie that he was 
doing it at the same time and um you know oh shit we gotta really we gotta hurry and get this done before they do and then um if you're familiar at all with the behind the scenes stuff that they didn't touch on in this uh they actually nbc scuttled him and the report because they they bowed to pressure unlike the new york times did so he went to the new yorker and that's where his comes in and then he wrote the book catch and kill which goes they talk about trying to get rose mcgowan to go on the record here and she ended up going on a record with ron farrow mm-hmm. right that's it's totally worth the read too. it's oh, disgusting it's, i it's yeah it's i don't want to call it a great book but it's very it's a must read in a lot of ways I love the inclusion of Ashley Judd here. Uh, Ashley Judd, who did speak with these reporters in real life. She's also included here in this movie and appears as herself. And that really adds a level of authenticity that the movie needed uh, from that perspective. Uh, because otherwise, you've got actresses that are, are not well-known playing people who were you know, part of Miramax, but were not well-known. It helps to have that face, that focus. It helped the story to have that face and focus when they wrote it and uh, so that was a great detail to have and really helps make this uh, make this movie I, I just can't make the point enough though how important a movie like this is and it's unfortunate that so many people didn't see it because you know, me too is receding into uh into history now and it's unfortunate just as fast as our mo- our culture moves uh it's as if you can just kind of shrink away for a little while and then you're allowed back in. And, you know, of course, Elon Musk now holding the door open for everybody who wants to <laughs> re-enter culture now. Um, uh, it's unfortunate that a movie like this uh, doesn't get the audience it deserves because it deserves people seeing it. Uh, people need an education. They need to be reminded that uh, the, the behavior of a Harvey Weinstein, so indicative of the behavior. Uh, the thing that really kind of stuck in my head that the movie can't address, I don't think there's any way for the movie to address it, is that we're talking about the New York Times, a company that has thousands of employees, is owned by, you know, multimillionaires. There probably is a culture there that is just like the culture that brought about Harvey Weinstein. Everybody there is portrayed as being very professional and welcoming of everyone. But you can only imagine that there was this culture there, too, and it never gets addressed. And that did stick in my mind. And But also you can't say that, like... If you just go around saying, well, that's what it was like everywhere, then I guess you're just justifying, you're just using their justification as well. But uh, yeah, that did, I did think about that a lot. Do you think, what? are they going to do a catch and kill movie? Or does this, I don't know. Cause they, they could. He definitely gonna, addresses that. I'm going to say this, though. I think this movie was, was well acted, well directed. It was in depth. It should have been a streaming limited series for the simple reason that a it was very long and there were a lot of threads that you you know you had to pick up on um some of the some of the episodes in the movie could have been stretched out a little bit and you know like fleshed out given a little more weight and because it, it was it seemed very long at times but it also seemed very rushed at times and I think I think one of the things that could have even helped the movie is to have actually gone in the room. They had a character who portrays Harvey Weinstein in, in, in terms of his body, in terms of just kind of seeing him a little bit. 
I think we could have gone further into those rooms where those women are and sh- and make make us in the audience just as uncomfortable as those women were by placing us in the position where, you know, we're there watching him say, hey, watch me in the shower. Hey, watch yeah. me jerk off. Hey, you know, just show me your tits. You know, that kind of thing. If we were in the room actually seeing that, I think it could have been a little bit more powerful. As it is, they, they stick specifically to the facts, which is I'm that's a different movie. What I just mentioned. This one is about straight ahead, just the 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 what they can report as fact of what happened. Yeah, you're talking about the Ryan Murphy version of it. <laughs> American Crime Story. You know, yeah. but I, I, I think that actually as it is now, it would have been great as a, like a four-episode miniseries on Hulu or wherever. And I think more people would have seen it, mm-hmm. which I think is more important than it, you know, whether it's a little long or it's a little sped up in spots. Um, I... I think it's great that it was released in theaters and I think that that, you know, that that shows that people take it seriously, but to get the audience that I think this deserves because it was incredibly well acted. I even like Zoe Kazan for a change. Um, uh, uh, Carrie Mulligan, you know, I don't know if it's like, she just, you know, I'm not going to do a streaming show or whatever, or, or if they just, it was always a movie, but with the cast that they had and the kind of episodic nature of the movie, mm-hmm. I think it would have been a, an outstanding streaming show. And I'm not, I'm usually like shorten it, make it a movie. Let's right. yeah, But I just think that this was too important to. A chilling thought on that. Is it easier to bury this in a movie theater as opposed to putting it out on streaming? I think it might be easier to try and bury a movie like this, putting it out over Thanksgiving, a time when families are together and they're not going to see a two and a half hour drama about you know sex, uh, sexual assault and and uh, you know I, yeah I think I think there's something to that. I guess I'm not saying that the that the company behind this buried this movie, but there's an argument to be made that it's a lot easier to bury a movie like this in a cinema than it is to bury it on Netflix. I don't I I don't think so. I don't I can't I don't see that as a motive because the you know I every time I flip through IMDb and I do that a lot there was an ad for this. There were ads all over for it um on Peacock and every everything I you know I watched there was an ad for this movie. So I don't think they were trying to bury it because it was pretty well advertised. Um I just think that this is a you know, and this is the time, like Christmas, Thanksgiving, it's award season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they'll, there will be some awards, at least nominations for this. Um, I, again, that's I ironic just... ironic considering that's what Harvey Weinstein is known for. Right, right. Um, <laughs> I just, I, again, I just think that there were... There not, were he's not known for that anymore, but... Not anymore, yeah. Well, he was known for before now he's known as a as a rapist but yeah who's gonna die in person he's been known as that probably but but i mean this will be the movie where it'll allow the people that did support him and ignore all the facts and let you know they can use this as oh i'm sorry here here we're we're better now here's this movie uh that's the only and i know that's not the right attitude to have but that that is a that is a good point though too. <laughs> you know, you, Hollywood lets a movie like this through, and they can go, "Well, we made she she said, so there you go." Uh, Hollywood apologizes. 
I think that like what bugged me was we got Ashley Judd and she was very powerful. And it took me a second to re- realize this was just a few years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That all this came out. I mean, I, this was just a couple of years ago. Um, and I was, I thought, Oh, Ashley Judd's playing herself at, you know, much younger. And then I was like, no, wait, this was just three or four years ago that this all started to really come to a head. Yeah. I wish that some of the other actresses that they, you know, that were named in the movie yeah. had done their, you know, had been in it. And a weird detail in the movie, Bob, about uh, the Harvey Weinstein was obsessed about Gwyneth Paltrow. Right. Every question that he had was about, All right, have you talked to Gwyneth? Is it is this about Gwyneth? Every one of them. And it's such a weird detail. And she's not, unfortunately, uh, not in the movie. And I think that if if there was a scene where they're like, oh, you know, Gwyneth will be right out. And I thought, oh, she actually she that's what I thought to do this. Great. Because there's a there was kind of a narrative going around that she she kind of downplayed all this when it came out and she wasn't as vocal about it. And it was everybody else telling her story but her. And I was like, oh, that would be so great if she would, you know, put down the goop for a minute and, (laughs) you know, be a part of this. But. It's just, just, I was just disappointed. Yeah, same. And, you know, you guys said something early on when I asked about Ronan Farrow and how they addressed the fact that they were trying to beat him to the, you know, release before the New Yorker did. And would it have worked better if, like Jeff said, it was more of a streaming series? And then you weave the two stories together where you go back and forth. Because everybody knows his, like, I knew more about his version than theirs. Uh, yeah. And I think it gets a bigger audience. If I, I do feel like they're, I'm sure he'll do a movie at some point at a podcast, either the book, you know, they are trying to make money with this too. Unfortunately, uh, if they were able to work together and make a show out of that, that seems like that would have been an amazing, an amazing show and very effective and powerful, but I don't know. I think, I think that this, I would like to have seen it from the female perspective in a longer format. His his book was good, and you know he got to talk. He got some access to some of the people, but I really would have liked to have seen this on TV. Just be, and his his I they could have they could have done an episode where he comes in, even if he plays himself, because you know the son of Woody Allen, quote unquote, and Mia Farrow. Sorry, Frank Sinatra has released his dad. Right. Um, I. You know, he could have even come in and done a cameo and played himself, and they could have, they could have done that. I, I think that we're going to get to a point where all of these books and all these exposés are going to come out, and people are going to be like, "Oh my God, it's Me Too again! Oh my God, let, let it go!" All that, you know, the chuds on Twitter and mm-hmm. how they are. Um, <laughs> but I think that it's an important story. I just wanted to see more of this one. So you could, I felt like you were getting parts of the movie were bogged down by their personal lives, but then their personal lives, you wanted to know more about it, but I felt like there could have been a, it could have been struck, fleshed out a little more in a show than here. I I I, I do think this is a very good movie and uh, certainly is what I hope people will, will uh, find eventually, um, hopefully with an awards campaign. Yeah. All right.
right. All Quiet on the Western Front. All Quiet on the Western Front is a movie set during World War One. Uh, it is from the German perspective of World War One, and honestly, I can't talk much about it. I fell asleep. <laughs> hey, me too. <laughs> I got about halfway through it, and I'm like, this is boring. I was about 30 minutes in. I'm like, I can't tell any of these people apart. They're all covered in mud or blood, and yeah, war is bad. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about looking up on Wikipedia, you know, what happened, but <laughs> World War One, the Germans lost. Right. <laughs> All right, the cool. Thing about, the ahead, thing about World War One stories is there's not a lot of new there's not a lot of new things out there. Like nineteen seventeen, I think that's what it is. Oh, you know, that did so well. Let's kind of reignite that. Um to me, the most interesting World War One era story that I've seen in, since 1917 was Pearl. You know, I mean, we, I, I just, I, I started to watch this. I borrowed a friend's Netflix and I was like, you know what? I don't like, I don't necessarily like war movies and I really don't want to see something that's been hashed and rehashed and rehashed. So, well, I just I, kept looking at the runtime and I'm like, this isn't getting any shorter. I mean, the the theme, I guess, I mean, it's, you know, when you look back, when you look at that title, All Quiet on the Western Front, it's a title of a movie that I'm not sure if it won an Oscar or was nominated for an Oscar. And that was all about, you know, the patriotic greatness uh, of American military might and naming a movie All the Quiet, All Quiet on the Western Front and, you know, setting it up from the side that that uh, lost. And, and there's certainly more to this movie in terms of talking about how pointless war is like that's one of the great things that is coming about like a movie called benediction which came out earlier this year was just quite a good movie talked about it a little bit how pointless world war one even world war two kind of were in terms of just the the ways it, it was fought uh both sides the german the, the germans and the english just throwing human beings at each other just whipping human beings at bullets that's what they were doing uh, the strategy was just send a bunch of poor people to die and eventually one of us will win. And it was all about, especially on the German side, it was all about ego. It was all about power and consolidating power and taking over a portion of a country. And it got me thinking like, you know, one of the best things about being about America centered where it is, is that there isn't much for us to take over, <laughs> you know, because if we were, we, if we were in Europe, our lead with our leaders, totally taking over countries we're totally bowling over other countries we're in canada we're not there's nothing for us in canada like this canada is very tiny most of it is just woods and mountains and very cold mexico there's just not much to take nothing against them they're wonderful countries there's just not much there for it for us in terms of what we could dominate but europe we would want that <laughs> if we were there with our leadership and that's kind of the one of the things i thought about here <laughs> As I was dozing <laughs> Yeah, I don't have much more to say on it either. <laughs> Bones and All. Bones and All is the latest from uh, director Luca Guadagnino, the director of Call Me By Your Name, uh, the sus- terrible Suspiria remake. Uh, this one stars Taylor Russell as a, a young woman who, as, as a teenager, realizes that she is a cannibal. She's always been a cannibal from the from a very young age. She just kind of, her dad covered it up as best as she could. And 
that was so traumatic for her that a lot of it she didn't remember. And she's able to control it for quite some time until she goes to a friend's house to spend the night and ends up biting off this friend's finger. And suddenly she's fully exposed as someone who was born as a cannibal. Uh, Her father packages her up and takes her out of the town and gets her out of there very quickly so she can't be arrested or found. Uh, And then he abandons her with a a tape and tells her, hey, when you were like three, you ate a babysitter. Like, this is is something I can't control that you can't control. And frankly, I just don't know what to do anymore. So he leaves her to her own devices. He gives her uh, directions to where her mother may be somewhere in Minnesota. She's somewhere in the Midwest. And She's going to journey there. Along the way, she meets a guy named Sully, played by Mark Rylance, who I described in my review as his character. He's a fellow cannibal who introduces himself by saying that he could smell her from over a, uh, from over a block away, which is incredibly creepy, especially as Mark Rylance uh, plays it. But it's also like they, are, they explain it as something that all cannibals can do in this universe. But I, in my review, I referred to him as an A24 version of Chop Top. Like, that's the kind of way that Mark Rylance plays this character. But uh, she meets him, she feeds with him, and then she runs away from him as fast as possible because he's a real creep. Uh, there she runs into Timothy Chalamet, who's another cannibal who's a little bit more ethical, I guess. He eats bad people. Uh, and uh, they begin to form a bit of a romance because they are close together in age, and they're both cannibals. Um I don't know what the movie was going for. Uh, it's like, I don't know if it's a horror movie. I don't know if it's supposed to be a teen romance. I'm not sure what the whole cannibal thing is meant to represent. Because they don't have a choice. They're born cannibals. It's not, uh, it's not like people were comparing this to Bonnie and Clyde and Badlands. And it's like, those are criminals who chose to be criminals. These are people who are cannibals who were born cannibals and have no control over it. Crime is a choice. <laughs> you can choose whether or not you commit a crime. So I didn't buy the metaphor there. Also, if it's if you're going to compare it to Badlands, I'm just going to watch Badlands. Then. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, Terrence Malick, it's an incredible film. <laughs> like, watch it if you haven't seen it. Uh, so I really didn't find anything to sell this movie. It's it's finely made. You know, Luca Guadagnino is a terrific director. It's a good-looking movie. It has a lot of elements I could recommend, but... I just don't know what this is supposed to be about. I don't get it. I don't find the movie particularly romantic. Uh, it's it's not Twilight for cannibals. Uh, it's not. Well, it seemed more to me like it would be like a, one of those foreign vampire movies, like Let, Let the Right One In or something like that, more so than a Bonnie sure. and Clyde, but those are good. <laughs> I don't know. Now, could it just be a cannibal movie without deeper I, subtext? I guess maybe, but I, I still don't understand where what the purpose of it was. What is it? it just they eat people. Okay, hold on. <laughs> how they know. decide how they decide who they eat is their moral compass. I don't know. Maybe. So you just, I just said out of curiosity, just a question. You said it's not the tw- it's like not Twilight for cannibals. Is it worse than that? <laughs> no, no. Okay, <laughs> you weren't very clear, and I was like, huh. <laughs> It's much more artful than the Twilight movies, I would say. <laughs> the performances are stronger. The characterizations are a little bit better. But I still, I, why do it? What is it? What What does making them cannibals say about them? The, it's a cool title. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, I was talking about the title a little bit in my review, saying like uh, bones and all is some, is a term that you know, cannibals in this universe use. Michael Stewart explains it as something that cannibals can do. They can eat every aspect of a person in this universe. So it's not like, I mean, in regular cannibalism where they throw the bones away <laughs> in this universe, they can eat the bones. That's how strong their will to eat is. So bones and all is like making a full commitment to cannibalism. The, you can go bones and all. Well, even like in regular cannibalism, it is a choice. <laughs> Just, you know, they, they seem to mess that part up in this movie. Uh, all right. Yeah, this is one I was going to see, and I, I got really busy Sunday night, and I didn't get a chance to see it. Um, I've heard, well, my little, uh, <laughs> my little group of Twitter friends, we always talk about horror movies and stuff, and this is one people were excited to see, and people who saw it liked it. But I'm not a particularly big fan of Timothy Chalamet. Um. So it was kind of take it or leave it with him, but I heard really good friend. I've I've heard good things about like all the performances and anything. I like Mark Rylance and uh, Michael Stuhlbarg. I like. I I would. I will. I will eventually watch this, but I don't. I didn't feel particularly bad that I didn't rush out and see it first thing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, all the technical aspects are there, and I'm I'm in the minority of people who didn't like it. I think it's 84% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Most critics did like this. I read a lot of reviews, like I said, a lot of comparisons. Is he paused? You there? Or is it just me? Huh. No, I don't know. <laughs> Must be Sean. Yeah. Well, anyway, I didn't see it. I watched Murder She Wrote instead that night. So I watched the Will Ferrell Ryan Reynolds uh, Christmas movie on a plane. <laughs> uh, I haven't watched that yet. I like. Is it worth it. it? I mean, it's. Do you like Scrooge? Do you like Elf? Yeah, I, I'm not. A, I'm not a big, huge fan of uh, Will Ferrell generally. But I do watch Elf once a year. Um, you know, that's always a a Christmas staple. And I like Ryan Reynolds. I think he's he's fine. I think they both work best when there's someone to feed off of, when they're not the main person, other than Deadpool, obviously. was Bill yeah. Farrell specifically needs somebody else to feed off of. And even then, he doesn't always work. But the two of them, I, I don't know, I think worked well together. Uh, I really like... Scrooged, and it's kind of like mixing Elf and Scrooge together. It's I don't know if I'll it'll be one you need to watch every year, but it it yeah. was fun enough. Yeah, um, it's it's on my uh, Plex right now, kind of waiting to get a little more in the Christmas spirit before I watch it. I guess because yeah. you know, I like I said, Will Ferrell. I mean, he's fine. Well, I'm with you though. It's there's times where I. Like, I've heard that he gets off on being bad, like making dumb movies. <laughs> like, that is entertaining I, to him, and that doesn't always work. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, he he's known for doing off-the-wall stuff. Like, his uh, his run on The Office, the f- three or four episodes that he was on there, mm-hmm. was just unhinged. Right. You know, 
like it was just what the fuck are you doing you know right not my favorite part but still it was interesting at least well even that hallmark Um, or lifetime movie made with Kristen wig it's just like (laughs) this is just bad and the whole thing it's funny that they did it i guess but why watch it (laughs) well when he was doing those commercials and he did one in davenport right I was living in New York at the time and I was like, what the fuck is he doing? It's just so random. You know, it's just, I guess that's, you know, his, his thing is being random. So yeah, I'll, pro- I'll, I'll check it out eventually. Let's see what we got next. You probably didn't see the five men's. Did you? I did not. <laughs> Neither did I. Oh, what are your thoughts on that article or what Sean's idea of Spielberg's not relevant anymore? Well, I I I think he's very I think he's very talented, um, and he has been. I think that this is one of those, you know, he he kind of does one for the public and one for himself. And this when I I before I knew it was Steven Spielberg, I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, this looks like it would be a Steven Spielberg movie about him about his growing up. And then it was like, oh, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, um, I'm I will I I probably will see it, and I'll probably see it in the theater because I did enjoy uh, his West Side Story. I watched that in the theater, and <laughs> funny story. I was actually I was in Chicago last year for uh, doing an art show, and my old roommates. I was staying with them, and they were like, "Hey, you know, we're gonna go see West Side Story. Do you want to go?" And I said, "Sure." Well, the night before the show. I, my, I actually, that night I stayed at a hotel, got zero sleep because there was a party going on down the hall. Mm-hmm. Um, got zero sleep. I was so tired and I was just desperately trying to keep my eyes open for West Side Story and failing miserably throughout. <laughs> but I enjoyed it enough that I I watched it streaming later and really, really dug it. But I just, it, it was unnecessary. And I don't know why Steven Spielberg would do that. Right. It baffled me. And I, and this is more what I see him, you know, I see his heart in it a little more than just a retread of something we've already done. See, I think he's, am I back? Yeah, you're back. You're back. Oh, good. We kept the show going. Uh, My opinion of Spielberg, I think he's great, but at the same time, I think he's super overrated and I don't think that's a bad thing, but when you're that popular and that big, uh, it's hard not to be overrated. (laughs) You know, if that makes sense. But anyway, he's made some of the biggest movies of all time. You know, I mean, right. I I don't know if that means he's overrated or if he's just he's kind of he could he could just rest on his laurels and never make another movie. And everybody would, you know, talk about how great he is. But do you get into the diminishing returns of stuff like this where it's like, oh, it's not an IP. (laughs) Right. You know, there's. He does, you know, like some of his existing IP stuff. Great, but Sean. So I asked the question: Is Steven Spielberg irrelevant? Not out of it. Not as a criticism of him. I think uh, I it doesn't. It's not a question of whether or not he's he's a great director. Of course, I think I think he's a great director. I think the the issue of relevance when it comes to him is his topics. The topics he chooses to, these days are not necessarily relevant to a wide audience. Uh, 
And this story, you know, West Side Story, as much as it may be beloved in many circles, is not a wide, you know, it's, it doesn't have a lot of cultural relevance still to this day. It just doesn't. Uh, that's not that's not a knock on the movie. It's not yeah, a knock on the quality of the movie. It's no just idea. not particularly relevant. Uh, and the idea here, he's making a movie about his childhood. And again, we're going back to references like uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance and The Greatest Show on Earth. And again, as beloved as those movies are in many circles, they're not relevant. And that it kind of might explain why people today, especially younger audiences, simply don't relate to what Steven Spielberg is doing anymore. It doesn't make it bad. It just means that you can't blame a younger audience. And something I read was somebody pretty much blaming a younger audience for not supporting this movie and not supporting one of our greatest filmmakers of all time. That's a ridiculous argument. (laughs) Kids are not going to be kids are going to find appeal in this. They're just not. It's not meant for them. It's meant for this is Steven Spielberg kind of jerking himself off a little bit. (laughs) If I'm being honest, this is him just enjoying his nostalgia, his own childhood. Uh, And you know, the things that inspired him and that's wonderful, but it's not relevant to people who aren't of the cult of Spielberg, his age, uh, John Ford is not somebody that is relevant to a younger audience. Should he be? Maybe. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, there's a lot of movies that of his you should absolutely see. Um, D- David Lynch plays John Ford in the movie, by the way. And and that's a big moment for this character is meeting him. And it's a great scene. But again, there's going to be anybody who's you know under the age of 25 who is still learning about film and getting better and growing probably doesn't know that he's talking to an absolute film legend. You can span, you can pan across all the movie posters you want and show all the movie posters of the, with these titles that go, that's vaguely, that's vaguely familiar to me from passing it on television, but it's not going to tell a lot of people, you know, anything about the guy. Uh, So that's the question. It really, it's really just kind of a knock on people who think this movie should be appealing to kids. Are appealing to a younger audience. I, you can't, <laughs> you can't make a movie set in the 1950s and 60s and and say that kids should absolutely see this <laughs> and and absolutely absolutely should be interested. It's not relevant. Your kids, Bob, not going to give a fuck. They're not going to know anything about this movie, about any of the references it's making. They'll recognize elements of maybe family, and those are nice things. But again, I don't think that's a well fleshed out part of the story either. So the story here is set. In the 1950s, uh, 1952 is where kind of we enter into it, where eight-year-old kid goes to see The Greatest Show on Earth, uh, the Academy Award-winning Best Picture, and is fascinated by the end sequence, which is this amazing train wreck uh, that was staged using models and actual staging with actual actors. And it's brilliant. It's the reason why the movie won Best Picture. It's still remembered as one of the least (laughs) deserving Best Pictures of all Mm -hmm. time. But it, it did win Best Picture because of that incredible ending. Behind uh, crash, right? Yeah. Uh, the and so the, the he sees that and he wants to recreate it. So he, he gets a toy a toy train for Hanukkah and begins recreating it using his dad's camera and trying to figure out how it happened. And that's the genesis of his love of film, encouraged by his mom Mitzi, played by Michelle Williams, who represents the artistic side of his family, while his dad is an engineer who. Uh, goes on to work for IBM and is on the cutting edge of developing computers. And that's the technical side. And those two sides coming together to form this one guy, this Sam Fableman character. Um, It's 
It's good. It's I mean, Steven Spielberg is an incredible director. So, of course, it's beyond competent. It's incredibly well made. Uh, Paul Dano and Michelle Williams are amazing. I just don't see anything necessarily that brings it all together. There's no moment of catharsis. You know, there's a lot of people who reviewed this movie and talked about how they wish they'd seen the movie that comes after this, where Sam Bailman goes on to become Steven Spielberg and making movies, you know, in the 1960s and then the 70s and creating the blockbuster. Like they'd say that's a better movie. And perhaps, maybe, I don't know, but that's not the movie he made. <laughs> you, know, you can't review the movie he didn't make. You have to remove, reveal the movie that he made. Uh, the movie that he made is is fine. It's a fine movie in so many ways. Like Michelle Williams is lovely. She gives a great performance. I don't think there's anything in here that is particularly insightful or even memorable, really. Uh, the key elements that stood out to me are the are the references like the greatest show on earth uh, is both referenced as something that inspired him, but also it's reminiscent of how it's, it's symbolic of many things in the movie, how, you know, a circus is one way when the public sees it and it's a different sort of chaos behind the scenes, which is kind of reminiscent of a family where you see a family in a picture that looks like the happiest family in the world, but behind the scenes, it's cha- it's a chaotic mess, and there's an elephant pooping everywhere, and <laughs> just pure chaos behind the scenes. What kind of family is that? <laughs> a circus family. Uh, no, it's just symbolism. You know, the the show you see versus the show you don't see, which is the family you see versus the family part you don't see. Uh, then, you, of course, you have the the reference. There's a reference strongly in the movie to uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance, which is famous for the line "Print the legend," and that's essentially what. Uh, Steven Spielberg is doing here. He's printing the legend of Steven Spielberg, which is shaped and molded and crafted as opposed to how it probably really happened, which is why he's not, you know, the character isn't named Spielberg. So this is a, a lightened up version in many ways as, as it just doesn't get very serious. And without those more serious elements, I was just felt like there was just something lacking. It's too airy. It's too light. It's too easy to take. And everybody gets off a little bit too easy. Uh, and that's that. That to me kind of leaves kind of leaves the movie just a little middling for me. I guess that's kind of how I feel about Spielberg in general, with the exception of maybe Jaws. I just I mean, obviously on this list, but like I don't know. I just feel like his movies are too easy. They're they're definitely huge, and he's a great director, but he's like the U two of filmmakers. I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> well, like I, okay, so I saw E. T. when it came out, mm-hmm. and I saw it in the theater. Um, was deeply affected by it and the toys, of course. But I look, I saw it as an adult and I was like, okay, this, and I don't know if it's because I saw it when I was 10 or what, but this is what it felt like to be a kid. You know, the bickering in the family and the, you know, the divorced mom. I didn't have a divorced mom, but that, you know, that kind of like kind of chaos at home that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And then you throw an even bigger monkey wrench into it. And it was, that seemed like there was a sense of wonder to that movie, even as an adult. Whereas I'm, you know, I'm looking at the poster for the Fablemans right now, and I've seen the trailer a couple times, and it just, it kind of seems forced. And I'm worried that if I, you know, seeing it in the theater, it, that it will be, that it feels forced. Is that true? Not necessarily. Um, I don't think it's necessarily forced. I think I think there are elements of Michelle Williams' performance that that people probably consider a little broad. Okay. Uh, whereas, but she's playing off of Paul Dano, who's 
you know, playing his character very uh, narrowly, very straight, straight guy, you know, with the glass, the very 1950s dad guy. Uh, and so she comes off even more broad just based off of what he's doing. Um, and unfortunately, they, 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 they seem to intend, he seems to intend the Seth Rogen character to bridge the gap between the two of them. And I just don't think that came through. And uh, without that, that, that character not quite working for me also kind of holds the movie back a little bit. Anything else on the Fablemans or Steven Spielberg? I, I think he's I think he's brilliant, but he shaves the edges off of everything. And I think this is the this is like I said, print the legend as opposed to you know the messy messy truths that might have a little sharp edge to them. Resurrection. Resurrection stars Re- Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth in a movie that came out uh, way earlier this year, but I only just saw it, so I wanted to talk about it because <laughs> I fell in, I fell for this movie hard. This movie is so fucking good. Uh, this is a horror film about a woman who uh, is on the run from a man. She's been on the run for him for some time. Uh, she's uh, they have a very awful past in which she was clearly groomed by him from a very young age, uh, from. Uh, early teens to her early 20s. She was under this man's thumb. Uh, He arrives back in her life, apparently having found her, but did he? Uh, There's a lot of ways in which the movie plays with reality, and she's uh, the the movie is gaslighting us as she is being gaslighted by him, and we don't know what to believe. Is she crazy? Is he actually doing this? And he has a line in this movie that you laugh at but then it just they just don't let it go. Tim Roth is so good. He doesn't let this go. So they had a baby. They lost the baby. Uh, the baby was born. What happened to the baby is unclear. But Tim Roth says, he's in my stomach. I, I, he's with me, always. Uh, he's with me. I'm carrying him with me right now. And obviously, that's metaphoric, right? Right? Uh, nope. I hope so. <laughs> It is Tim Roth is so great at delivering the lines of the, just just making that idea, planting that idea and building towards where this movie builds to. It's phenomenal. I love this movie. This is it is such a weird, goofy idea that without Tim Roth and Rebecca Hall playing it as straight as they do, I don't think works. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But they they are so dedicated to what's happening that you just get lost in it and you just go along with it. And you're never out of it. Uh, and it's just fascinating because it really is a goofy idea. Uh, and I know you're playing with reality and whatnot, mm-hmm. but it takes the performances to make it work. And those two together, uh, like it's almost like, why would you even sign up for this movie? If you're reading the script, what brought what in the script made them want to do this? Uh, but whatever they did, whatever it was, they committed hard, and that's what makes this movie work. Mm. The ever escalating tension uh, of the story from her just being this very confident, uh, very assured uh, businesswoman, slowly either she's coming apart and real and her reality is exploding in front of her, or this is all really happening. Uh, Rebecca Hall plays all of that so beautifully, and it just builds this tension from beginning to end to this catharsis that is just, ah, <laughs> did it happen? Did it not happen? I don't know. <laughs> what did happen? 
It's so crazy. I was it all in her head. By the end, I still didn't know. And I, I just don't. I, the movie is so great at playing with that without making it seem like a, a gimmick. Uh, it just it, awesome. Awesome performance by Re- Rebecca Hall. She just she, it's all on her to make this work. Tim Roth stuff. He's got a couple of great scenes. He's off screen for much of it. Uh, I, but he, when he's there, he's so impactful. Uh, you can't look away. Uh, but yeah, this is all on her, and she just makes it all work from beginning to end. Yeah, if she doesn't deliver, this movie falls apart. I Absolutely. Think. Absolutely. Uh, it's definitely worth watching. I tried to watch it. Uh, couldn't get into my account to watch it, and I kept getting distracted, and I'm like, no, I really, really want to see this movie, so I'm definitely going to watch it. I love her. I mean, The Night House... Mm, she was so movie. good in that. Uh, if you love her, you're gonna love this. Absolutely, yeah. She's she's, she's maybe my favorite actress working today. I, she's just delivering. She makes such great choices. She's just so smart. Uh, you know, just never. I mean, just the the little movies that she's made, like uh, you know, uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Like, uh, just oh, awesome. such a great performance. Such a clever. You know, choice to have her play that role, and you know, then Vicky Cristina Barcelona, which we're going to talk about, is just like uh, she's she's the key to that film. She she's what makes it all come together. Iron Man three, don't forget Iron mm-hmm. Man three, but she was fantastic she, in that role. She yeah. was terrific. All right, well, let's jump to our classic, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Well, we have to talk about it first that this is a Woody Allen movie. Uh, you can't talk about Woody Allen without talking about Woody Allen. And, uh, the, you know, credibly accused of being uh, an abuser. Um, and it's you have to make a decision here whether or not you can separate the art from the artist and and talk about a movie he made with and talk about it as a work while not necessarily while kind of leaving him out of the equation if you can or or not. It's up to you how you take that. Uh, you have to understand that you can praise a work of art without praising the person who made it, um, or, or at least parsing the idea that somebody who's awful can do something great. And I do think this is a pretty great movie. The idea here is that uh, two women travel to Barcelona together, two best friends, played by Scarlett Johansson and Rebecca Hall. They meet up with an artist, played by Javier Bardem, and all of them are brought to a point where they have to confront who they are as a person, what they want, and their future, their desires, their sexuality. It's all there, and they all have to to confront these things and learn things about themselves, and all these characters grow in very unique ways. Uh, I really, the, the performances here are just so phenomenal. I, there's a scene with Javier Bardem early on where he walks up to the table where Rebecca Hall and Scarlett Johansson are and just casually talks about how he wants to take them away on a plane ride, and take them out for dinner and take them to the arts and have sex with both of them, whether it's together or apart. Uh, and it's just very straightforward. And, and you know, you're either shocked or you're charmed or it's, it's just strange. He just delivers it so, so perfectly that you easily buy in that. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson is going to fuck him right now. And Rebecca Hall might want to fuck him later. Like <laughs> it's, I kind of wanted to fuck him mm-hmm. too. Like this is just that level of confidence that, uh, that only a Spanish artist of unlimited means has um, <laughs> the 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 way though that 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 is not just merely a scene but it's you know it's the start of revealing and unfolding these characters in unique different ways 
uh, is what the, the charm of the entire movie, because that scene sets up everything that comes about where these characters are revealing who they are as people. And then you have Penelope Cruz come into this movie and she is like this hurricane of emotion that just comes raining down in the movie and takes it in a whole other direction that reveals her and Bardem and Scarlett Johansson uh, throughout. I, I think this movie is incredible, even as it comes from a guy who is just probably a, an awful human being. Yeah, I love this movie too. And I mean, I have a harder time with some of his stuff that's more autobiographical. Uh, you know, the Annie Halls and the Manhattans, fantastic movies, but it, those are the ones that really trigger me with him. This one seems a little more removed from who he is. Uh, and I'm, and maybe I'm just throwing that at the movie. I don't know. But, uh, you know, what I thought I was getting and what this movie is are, you know, it's way better than I thought it was going to be going in. Uh, and I saw it years ago. Uh, I it just I really it was one of those ones where you go and you're expecting almost you know some sort of sex movie and it ends up being way more than that and uh, it really is quite good. This is the first time I watched this. I specifically didn't watch it because I thought Woody Allen was such a creep. Uh, when you suggested watching it because of Rebecca Hall, I had no idea she was even in this movie. Name checked in the title because I assumed that Vicky and Christina were Penelope Cruz and Scarlett Johansson. Um, Rebecca Hall was my favorite part of this movie. Uh, I mean, I, I get wanting to throw your entire life away for a Javier Bardem. Um, so I could, you know, I could go with that. Uh, I was, I just, I, I really just, I was so confused going into it. Cause I was like, wait a minute. Where's Penelope? Oh, Penelope Cruz is the crazy ex who is just always at 11 with her emotions. Always. Um, Scarlett Johansson, for me, I always, I, I, I always like feel like she's like so precious as far, you know, like when I saw Under the Skin, I was just like, oh my God. Scarlett Johansson did this. Oh, I'm so scandalized, you know, that she's walking around with everything hanging out. And she's not the like, you know, prim and Janet Lee type who I always kind of took her as mm-hmm. um, from Hitch or Hitchcock. Um, I, I was glad that this wasn't one of those autobiographical Woody Allen movies, because I don't think I could, I, I, I've re- I recently rewatched Shadows and Fog because I found it for a dollar in a um, in a store, and I was like, "Oh, I'll, you know what? I've never really seen this, and I like Madonna, so I'll watch this and see how bad she is in it." And it was just that that Woody Allen sensibility, and I was really hoping that 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 didn't come into this. And it just a you know a couple times during the narration, it did, but overall, I was really impressed and kind of shocked that how much i liked this and it was it came down mostly to rebecca hall Mm -hmm. it's more thoughtful and mature than i was that i had remembered uh it definitely gives these characters a lot of room to breathe and to grow as human beings and that's really more of what it's about it's it it talks about sex in a mature way uh that uh, that most movies don't uh (laughs) frankly speaking uh uh that that said, I was I went into it very worried that this was going to be you know uh, 
a, an abuser's conception of of women. You know, like a, a a conception of women is just as as a man sees them. And something about this, just the way he lets these actresses find the characters. Like for me, I don't think Scarlett Johansson finds this character until in the second act when she's uh, bringing an end to her relationship with Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem. That's, I think, when she finds the character at that point. That monologue she gets there is really terrific. And meanwhile, you have Penelope Cruz. You've got this character that could be, uh, you know, a poorly conceived idea of mental health issues in a woman. And Penelope Cruz comes in and just is allowed to give this character so much charm and so much real life and so much experience and uh, reality that she overcomes, you know, this idea that this is just a, a, a man's conception of a crazy chick. Uh, and Rebecca Hall, of course, also just takes the character of a of a woman who's on the track to becoming, you know, an everyday uh, liberal white wine mom, you know, <laughs> essentially uh, takes that and gives it a whole nother dimension by being forced into corners to where she has to figure out what it is that she truly wants out of life. And uh, I think Alan, I think as a director here, he gives these women the opportunity to find these characters as opposed to him forcing an agenda upon them. You know, and that's so I've always thinking about Woody Allen movies. He, to me, the thing that I think draws people into him is the way he reveres his actresses. And, you know, say what you will about him as a person and what an absolute fucker he is. But the, you know, even going back and watching Mia Farrow in his movies and they, all the women have agency that I don't think a lot of male director, directors and writers give their female characters. And I think it only gets better over time. You know, going back and so watching something from 1990 and then going back and watching this from, you know, just a few years ago, it's like, oh, they're even, they're more, they have more agency and they're more themselves. And that's because of him. Yeah. I hate to say that because he's such a piece of shit, but you know, it's like he, he writes well for women and he directs well for women. And I think this is, I'm, I think he is in touch with his feminine side when he's writing these characters enough to be sympathetic as opposed to just, this is my fantasy of these women. And this could have been that kind of movie. This mm-hmm. could have been this, Absolutely. you know, where he just sees Scarlett Johansson and he writes a bunch of nude scenes for her. And, you know, you same with Rebecca Hall and Penelope Cruz, but he, it actually seems like the characters respect themselves. And that's, it's rare, you know, it's like it, from a male director. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, and part of that too, is just the, he's so, it's so clever about writing these characters into corners where they're forced to confront something and how they figure out their way of whether or not they're going to confront it or find it a unique way to dodge it. And I just, I, I loved that about this. And the, 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 like Patricia Clarkson plays a character who you could call her purely functional within the story, but she, uh, but she infuses that with so much more because she's Patricia Clarkson, but also because that character is so important to revealing what Rebecca Hall as a character wants. It's more than just functional. The same can be said of Chris Messina, who is a character, again, that could be just a one note character. This you know, very straight laced uh, b- businessman uh, could be a very functional character, but he 
adds dimension to it by giving Chris Messina some real emotion and, and a little bit of weight, just enough weight to where he provides a perfect sort of emblem of the fork in the road that Rebecca Hall's character is, is facing. And I thought that was a, just a really great use of supporting players. You get the impression that she could be happy with either one of these men because they're fully formed men. They're not yeah. caricatures. Yeah. Anything else on Vicky Cristina Barcelona before we Rebecca Hall should be on the poster, goddammit. And not six <laughs> build. Absolutely. Six build. After Kevin Dunn. Who the fuck cares about Kevin Dunn? <laughs> okay, rant over. Sorry. All right. We did have a bunch of shit come out in ninety two. I don't think we discussed <laughs> watching any of these, but uh, we've seen most of them. So. Well we have seen most of them. Uh, Malcolm X. Malcolm X's uh, Spike Lee's uh, biography of uh, Malcolm X, and it's it's quite brilliant. Uh, exceptionally acted by uh, Denzel Washington, uh, directed brilliantly by Spike Lee. Uh, it's it's very long. Uh, it can be hard to take. Uh, Spike Lee is definitely in his most Spike Lee element here, and that can be hard to take for some. But I find it to be hard to watch uh today but uh, at times because of just because of the length and you know the, all the stylistic stuff nothing about but but also it's just very confrontational and if it's not an easy movie to to sit back and just like oh just saturday night i'm gonna watch malcolm x no probably not this is not a casual watch right yeah you said it pretty good i bet denzel probably one of his better performances and probably deserved an award for this one more so than training day Bad Lieutenant. Bad oh. Lieutenant. We did that as a uh, classic on this on this podcast, and yeah, what a what a movie! What a movie, Jeff. You want to talk about this one? I saw this in college in a theater with a friend who thought it was a date. Hmm. She was like, "Oh, let's go see this. You know, let's go see a movie." And this was the one that was like the the closest to opening when we got to the theater in Denver and. She's like, oh, what is, oh, is that a, like a ba- like a cop movie? And I said, I don't know. I, you know, I'd heard a little bit about it because I religiously read Premiere magazine in the eighties ni- and nineties. But yeah, it was. Uh, this was one of those. He's not particularly good looking, but it was one of those. Oh shit, Harvey Keitel is kind of sexy. And then, you know, like the bad guy kind of thing. And then he's standing there naked, and you're like, oh shit. Um, why do I feel this way about Harvey Keitel of all people? I, he's just phenomenal in this movie. It's such a weird, unique thing that's, I don't know, it was it was a hell of a movie when we watched it. Was it earlier this year or last year? But whatever it was, was... Yeah, I don't remember exactly when it was. Maybe last year, but yeah, Abel Ferrara. I mean, and not everything he does works, but when he's on, he's on this and Ms. 45. Like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah I finally saw that movie and that was incredible Aladdin <laughs> Aladdin I can show you oh, never mind. Uh, let's see here the bodyguard <laughs> the bodyguard <Can> I- <laughs> 
they you know, they're making the Whitney biopic this year, and I've I've still not heard a word about it, even as we we're deep into award season. So what does that tell you? But I I didn't care for this movie when it came out. I I was for some reason I was obsessed with how terrible Kevin Costner's haircut is in this movie. I hate it. I just hated it so much. I don't know why. It just bothered me. <laughs> but uh, also, I just didn't think this was Whitney's strongest music either for the for this soundtrack, and everybody loved it. So. There you go. Well, you're kind of wrong there, but <laughs> tastes differ. But yeah, Dolly Parton did it better. <laughs> I'm kidding. Did uh, you love Kevin Costner's hair in that movie, Jeff? <laughs> um, I don't generally like anything about Kevin Costner. I don't love anything about Kevin Costner. He is fine and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite part, my favorite thing about him was when he was in Truth or Dare and Madonna fake throwing up because <laughs> he said everything was neat. And I just always, I always think about him then, like with yeah. that. So I like him as a baseball player, and that's about it. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, then the crying game. Yeah, the crying game uh, is uh, it, it's certainly one among the more memorable films uh, of the last thirty years. That's for sure. It has is a movie that has not gone away. Uh, and at the same time, it's also a movie that revealed a lot of the worst about a lot of people. Uh, if you the the thing that people remember about this movie is the the Jim Carrey scene from Ace Ventura, which is a, a really uh, really ugly moment in cultural history when you get down to it. Um, at the time, everybody laughed though, and oh, I, I I I probably did too, uh, you know. But I look back on it now, and it, I I hate that it overshadows the movie so much. Oh yeah, I remember when we did this as a classic. It was just like holy shit. Everything I knew about this movie is such a small part of what this is. I've never seen Ace Ventura. Mm, no, Not no. a big Jim Carrey fan. The last movie I really loved of his was, it was just the it's just the same joke that everybody did. Yeah, it was Once Bitten. That's the last movie I really loved of his. <laughs> <laughs> I like him in Sonic. I'm just I'm just saying that I, I hate that that you know that is emblematic of what movie. people yeah what remember about this movie. This I this was one of those movies again reading Premiere magazine around this time that everybody was talking about and I was like, Oh, I can't wait to see it. And I tried to go see it at an art house in Denver, but couldn't. And I finally watched it on videotape, but it had been spoiled. And I was so that just that moment, I knew it was coming and I was like, Oh, I wish I didn't know this about this character. But the movie was so much more like I thought, you know, going into that was, I mean, I was spoiled too when I saw it. But I kind of thought that that's the movie, <laughs> and it ends up being so much more than that, which was yeah. what was so shocking about it, even more shocking about it than the reveal. And Jay Davidson was so good. It's an uh, it's a real shame that that there wasn't more work there after that because it's such a it's such a tremendous and integral performance. Absolutely. And then finally, Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. <laughs> True Oscar winner here. Absolutely. Uh, with the greatest the greatest actor of all time <laughs> I'm the greatest president of all time the greatest actor of all time <laughs> oh, yeah he's in that I forgot did you hear have you heard the stories about that that the only no. way that he would let them use his building was if he was in it yeah and they they came so close to cutting him out of it yeah but then they I know there was some contractual thing that he had to appear in it and I'm just like ugh 
I think he has that on a handful of movies where if they use a Trump Tower, he has to yeah. appear in it or something like that. Ugh, gross. Which, you know, yep. back to your she said movie, you know, he was president when all that was going on. It's yeah. another thing to why people need <laughs> well, to see literally, the movie picks up immediately after Carrie Mulligan's character has revealed everything about Trump ahead of the 2016 election where he still got elected, which uh, kind, of over, kind of sets the tone for the, for the entire movie. Yeah. All right. Next week, we got Violent Night, The Eternal Daughter, and Darby and the Dead. Uh, we haven't picked the classic yet. Uh, Can I make a suggestion? Absolutely. Since we're doing Violent Night, we should really revisit Silent Night, Deadly Night. I'm all for that. I always love watching Sean squirm. <laughs> yeah, that was actually I, one of I my best experiences. I love slash hate that movie. So. I had a good experience watching that movie as a kid. Uh, yeah. I'll have to share that on the show later. Uh, Sean, you can watch part two also because it basically just rehashes the entire first one and the guy goes, Garbage day! <laughs> I love Garbage Day. That's one of my favorite memes. I just love that Mickey Rooney shit all over it existing, and then he shows up in, like, what, part five or something like that? <laughs> yep, the Toy Maker, which actually, uh, sometime next month, the uh, parts three, four, and five with Mickey Rooney come out on a, on a Vestron video horror Blu-ray series. Hmm. But I, I'm going to pick him up just because it's not? unhinged. Bill... <laughs> Uh, uh, Bill Mosley plays a killer with a fishbowl on his head. I really want to make you guys watch that. It's just, <laughs> oh, it's so, and he he plays the killer from part two who is shot in the head, but he survives and play and has a fishbowl apparatus on his head that you see his brain, and he has a psychic link with this blind. It, it's oh my god, it's just the worst movie. It's a good Rift Tracks movie. <laughs> All right. 1992, uh, Damage, The Distinguished Gentleman, and To Grandma's House We Go come out. So it'll be a lot shorter episode than this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We're going to talk for a good hour about Silent Night, Deadly Night. It works for me. Dig into the themes and the symbolism and the... <laughs> well, I just when we went and saw Terrifier two, uh, the trailer for Violent Night came out, and Sean was like, "At least Santa's the killer in this one, <laughs> versus or the uh, he's a good guy in this one." Yeah. Uh, so that was. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about the whole like controversy controversy surrounding all the Christmas horror movies because I have feelings. <laughs> All right. So many of them. There are so many Christmas horror movies. It's crazy. It's great. <laughs> you know me. I love horror movies. And I love Christmas. <laughs> My brother even made one. <laughs> I've seen it. Sorry. <laughs> Did I you actually watched it on I watched it on Thanksgiving uh 2014. Because I was house sitting when I was living in Chicago and I had to work the next day. So I just stayed there. And my boyfriend came over and I was like, oh, this is my friend's brother's movie. We should watch this. And we didn't make it all the way through. It's okay. Not because it was bad, but it was like it was the Happy Gilmore effect. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've had. I've never seen the ending of Happy Gilmore. We'll just put it that way. I've had people asking me if they can, you know, where they can find it. People that, especially now where I'm at with my job, where I'm just like, I, I don't know. You can't find it anywhere. You're not going to see it. I'm not going <laughs> to show you a movie with necrophilia in it. Uh, all right. Let's play a little bit of flick chart if you guys have time. It is. Holy shit. All right. We'll do a couple quick rounds if you're all right with that. That's fine. Ever after grandma's boy. Ever after. Ever after. Yes, I don't smoke pot. Flight plan, life of pi. Life of pi. Yeah, same. Agreed. The road to El Dorado, the book of Eli. The book of Eli. Yeah, I've never seen El Dorado, so. Neither have I. No need. Grave of the Fireflies. Anybody never seen, seen that? Never seen it. Sean, have you seen it? Change that one, I guess. Yeah. It's been 20 years since I saw it. General's daughter or the other Bolin Bolin girl? The other Bolin girl is a great movie. Scarlett Johansson, Natalie Portman. uh, I think it's Eric Bana. Uh, So I'm definitely picking that, but I I have a secret love of just how terrible the general's daughter is. That's so bad. (laughs) But it's so bad in a wonderful way, though. It's so awful. Like it leads into being just the grossest movie. I was just so mad at it so I could and I don't really want to go back and find an appreciation for it the uh, general's daughter is a movie you can smell <laughs> oh yeah and I picked that before uh, Jeff and I chose uh, I hope that was okay uh, three kings the sum of all fears three kings absolutely Vertical Limit, The Lady Killers. I have not seen The Lady Killers or Vertical Limit, so. Lady Killers, even though, I mean, only because Vertical Limit is terrible, so. Agreed. Deuce Bigelow. Lesser Coen Brothers is always going to be better than Vertical Limit. Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, Frankenstein, 2011. I think that's a, that's not a movie. I think that was a, I don't know what that was. Broadway thing. We talking Deuce Bigelow or Frankenstein? (laughs) Let's get rid of both of them. Heavenly Creatures, American Outlaws. Heavenly Heavenly Creatures. Absolutely. Universal Soldier, The Return, or The Brave Little Toaster? (laughs) I don't think that's a movie. Jesus Christ. Universal Soldier, The Return, The Fast and the Furious. The Fast and the Furious. Yep. I'll go Universal Soldier. The King of Comedy, The Road. The King of Comedy. I mean, they're both bleak, but at least yeah, The King of Comedy is kind of entertaining. But yeah, The King of Comedy has Sandra Bernhardt in it, so. I can go along with that. Uh, Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Have you seen that? I've seen Sicko, but I haven't seen Aguirre. Cure. Have we seen that? Not familiar with it. Shanghai Noon or Sicko? Sicko. Sicko. Yeah. MASH Total Recall 2012. MASH. I've never seen MASH. The Thomas Crown Affair 1999, Brazil. Brazil. Yeah, Brazil. I do kind of like the Thomas Crown Affair, but it's it's like, it's fine. It's good. I agree. It's just 
it's serviceable. Right. Yeah. Thumb and Louise jumper. Thumb and Louise. Thumb and Louise. Although I, I actually kind of liked jumper. I hated jumper. Of course you did. <laughs> oh, this is like my hell. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises Inception. I, I, I like both these movies a lot. I'm going to take Inception. I think it's just slightly better. I'm going to pick Dark Knight Rises. Fuckers. <laughs> I'm choose between two Christopher Nolan movies. Beautiful. I'll go Inception since the podcast started on me not liking Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> uh Kramer versus Kramer, Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys. The one that doesn't have Dustin Hoffman abusing Meryl Streep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll stay Wonder Boys. He's so good at it, though. I just finally saw Kramer versus Kramer a couple years ago, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Isn't Dustin Hoffman insufferable? He's just insufferable. In I don't everything. mind him. It's just that movie was just rough, and it was ugly. and. Uh-huh. Yeah. Arachnophobia quiz show. Quiz show. I'm going to say arachnophobia. That was way more fun. I just think Ray Fiennes is incredible in quiz show. I'll go quiz show. I'm really afraid of spiders. (laughs) Shaun of the Dead, A Beautiful Mind. Controversial opinion. I don't love Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, me neither. It's fun, and it was fun the first time, but it does not hold up to rewatches. So I'll say a beautiful mind. Yeah, I feel like that crowd really loves that movie. And I don't know. I like some of the newer stuff after Edgar Wright's done more so than that that trilogy put together. Uh, Mission Impossible, Fallout, Run, Lola, Run. That's tough. That is a tough one because I think, I think Mission Impossible, Fallout's a pretty terrific movie. <clears throat> um. I would probably watch Mission Impossible Fallout first, but I gotta admit that Run Lola Run for what it is is a is a more accomplished movie. So I guess I'll go Run Lola Run. Yeah, same here. Agreed. Alien Three Double Indemnity. Double Indemnity. Okay, I'm gonna say Double Indemnity. However, <laughs> the 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 director's cut slash producer's cut of Alien Three is actually very good, and I. Do love that version of it. Okay. <laughs> the Culture High, Run, Fat Boy, Run. Never seen Culture High. Grumpy Old Men, Run, Fat Boy, Run. Grumpy Old Men. It's still, yeah. it's still somehow it's still funny today. <laughs> that movie is still funny to me. I watched it. I watched it's, clips of it the other day. It was just, it's, it still it's, makes me laugh. It's because of the chemistry of the cast. Yeah. Everybody in right. that movie works. You can tell they're having fun making it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Clear and present. It's like, it's like one of the Adam Sandler buddy movies, except with people who I like. <laughs> well, yeah, but even like grownups, like, you know they're having fun, but it doesn't translate onto the screen yeah. at all. It's just like. Well, because none of them are particularly likable. And the direction's terrible. <laughs> Clear and present danger, speed to cruise control. <laughs> Clear and present danger. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I say fuck both those movies. <laughs> Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World, Misery. Misery. Master and Commander. I'm going Misery. I know Master and Commander is better, but it's long. And I, just, 
I don't know. I like enough about misery. Bewitched, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Journey to the Center of the Earth, and only because Bewitched is unwatchable. What did you say, Jeff? Literally the only good part about Bewitched was Amy Sedaris playing Gladys Kravitz at the end. <laughs> Literally the only good part about it. The Hard Way, James and the Giant Peach. I'm, I think I've seen both of them, but I have no memory of them to tell you whether or not one mm. is better than the other. Rear Window, Spanglish. Rear Window. Rear Window. But I do like Spanglish. This is the one, this is the rare, not terrible Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. The Lead of Extraordinary Gentlemen, 2003, Trading Places. Trading Places. Trading Places because we're watching it play out in real time with Herschel Walker in Georgia. <laughs> Have you seen the picture of him between Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham? And then on the bo- that's on the top. And then on the bottom is Don Amici mm. and, and mm. Eddie Murphy. It's pretty fucking hilarious. That's good. Dennis the Menace, UHF. 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 Creed, Super Mario Brothers, Creed. <laughs> I should make I should make you choose, Bob. <laughs> I wonder what he- Yeah, that's the reason I hate Mike Mark Rylance. <laughs> Pacific Rim Patterson. Patterson. Sure. While you were sleeping 28 weeks later. While you were sleeping. Yeah, if you said 28 days later, I would have picked that, but while you were sleeping. Agreed completely. Spider-Man Homecoming, American Graffiti. Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. I'm a George Lucas fanboy, but I I would rather watch Spider-Man than... Marley and me... Thriller, a cruel picture. I don't know what that is, but I want to see it based on that poster. Yeah. Looks very cool. Marley and me, hot shots. Marley and me. Hot shots. I love Marley and me. I can't. I just can't. The the super saccharine, sugary movies, just, I just can't. The Messenger. If you're going to watch one of those movies, that's the best version of it. But it's got Owen Wilson and Jennifer Aniston in it. They're both really good in it. The Hot Shots is so much fun. The Messenger is the cable guy. The cable guy. The Messengers is just terrible. Yeah. Cable guy's got it good, but at least it's memorable. Flatliners, 500 Days of Summer. 500 Days of Summer. I know that's the better movie. I hate Zoe Deschanel, though. So, but I'll still say that because, you know, I don't want to get kicked off the show already. <laughs> oh, is the internet gonna end the show for us? I always like to try something fun, but there's never a good. Sometimes you just drag on forever. Yeah. Mm, looks like it's making the decision for us. All right. <laughs> Alien oh, versus wait. Predator. What the hell? Tenant or Ace Ventura? Tenant. Yeah. I haven't even seen Tenant and I don't want to vote for <laughs> I was gonna say I've never seen it either. Uh Hannibal Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas. Unpopular opinion. I don't like the Nightmare Before Christmas, so I'm gonna pick I don't love it either. <laughs> I like Hannibal less. All right. 
nothing fun's happening. So that's our show. We'll see you next week. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thank you. Bye. All right. See ya. Everybody watch Darby from the Dead. <laughs> Don't. No. Just kidding. All right. <laughs>